Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be interviewing Angela Tormi of Ally Legal Florida. Angela, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. All right. So quick shout out to Bob Lehman, the financial advisor who introduced us in your neck of the woods. Uh, first of all, I know that you are an Air Force veteran, so thank you for your service. Thank you for your support. And uh, you executed your first will at the age of 19? Yes. Um, was preparing for deployment. And one of the wonderful things they have you do before they let you uh, go and serve overseas um, in a deployment capacity is they want you to make sure you have all of your affairs in order. So that's making sure you have beneficiaries on your life insurance, as well as um, executing a deed or a deed, a will. I'm sorry. I got all excited about it. Yeah. Executing a will. And, um, you know, just like then, you know, it was very confusing to me because I had no idea what it was or why and what all that meant, you know, what is a will? And that kind of got me started. And that is something that still plagues me to this day. And I try to help ease that transition for people. All right. So what, after your military service was up, what inspired you to become an attorney? So I, um, I was looking at jobs that were um, in my area. So you know, the, I guess the old adage goes, when you um, retire, you're supposed to retire and move to Florida. So you grow up, get a job, have some kids, retire and move to Florida. And so my husband and I were joking around about it. I said, you know, um, apparently we're supposed to go to Florida. I don't know what we're going to do there, but that's the American dream. That's what we're supposed to do. So we picked a spot on the map and um, ended up in Tampa, Florida. And as we were making that transition, we started looking at what was available for post-military retirees. Like, what do you do? Um, We happened to drive over to pick the design options for our um, home that we were having built. And as we went by, um, we went down this little road, there was a law school there. And I thought, well, I mean, I could try to get in. That sounds fun. And that was in March of 2014. I took the LSAT in June of 14 and began law school in September. So, and then retired in between all that. So it was kind of a, I didn't have anything better to do, I guess. (laughs) So law school seemed like a pretty good option. Okay, wow. Well, that is certainly an interesting way to enter the legal profession and probably not the normal way that happens. How did you, after graduation, after passing the bar, what did you do? 
So um, in the process of um, taking the bar exam, I was working for a family law attorney. And I, um, while I was in law school, I worked for an elder law attorney. So I had a little bit of experience working in um, both the transactional side of, of the law where you know, things aren't so litigious or confrontational, and then also in family law where you're in court a lot more, and usually those are adversarial proceedings where people are you know, not very happy with each other. So um, in looking at that, I decided to go the route that had me, um, it allowed me a little more freedom over my schedule, um, more transactional assisting folks with their estate plans, because typically those are not um, known to be very adversarial. There are areas that can be, but um, by going into estate planning and things, that allows me, it allowed me the freedom to you know, go to the kids' sporting events, spend time with my family, and it's a little uh, less stressful than some of the other areas of law. Absolutely, and you get to help people, of course. Yep. So what is your definition of estate planning? If someone asks you, what do you do? And you say, I'm an estate attorney, and they say, what does that mean? How do you answer that? Well, I tell them that, um, well, it, it obviously depends on the audience, but um, the, the go-to response is a lot of times, I help people write the last story they'll ever tell. Ooh, that's a good answer. I've never <laughs> heard it put that way before. Yeah, um, I, I, um, I, I like to help people um, be able to put into words the things that they want to happen to their things, you know, whether it's I wanted to go to charity, I wanted to go to my favorite niece or nephew. Um, and then at that point, I mean, sure, there are families that will fight over it. But at the end of the day, it's the last story that's ever told about that person when they pass away in terms of what they want. Now everybody has their stories about, oh, remember the time when Uncle Bob did such and such? You know, um, it's not quite as, as um, humorous, but there are some folks in their estate planning endeavors, they come up with some pretty unique situations. Absolutely. I love that you're phrasing it as the last story ever told. I think that opens the door to not just the estate planning work that you're doing, but to like an ethical will, an emotional will, a heck, even an autobiography that's not going to hit New York Times or sell a million copies, but just for the family, the kids and the grandkids to learn who were these people before we came along. Right. right. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making when it comes to their estate planning? I think across the board. Now, as you know, I'm licensed only in Florida. So a lot of the things that we will talk about um, are Florida specific. And I want to make sure that I make that distinction because what happens in Florida um, is not necessarily what's going to happen in another state. So, um, but generally across the board, I think that some of the biggest mistakes that people make is they try to do it themselves. Um, that is, um, you know, they'll say, well, I can just download a form online or I can Google it or I can, you know, figure out one way or another to do it without having to pay an attorney. Um, the mistake there is that you get what you pay for. And also, you know, without having that understanding and that guidance, you are bound to make mistakes and you are, you know, a lot of times going to leave things undone in a way that causes your family grief and stress and heartache because they don't know what you wanted because you didn't tell your last story. And then they also have to go through the expense of actually hiring an attorney to figure it out for them. And that, you know, a lot of times can be strain, you know, a strain on the wallet. Absolutely. So there's the mistake certainly of not doing it at all. Why do you think people put it off, procrastinate, don't do it? Well, I believe that um, death is a hard thing to talk about. People don't like to talk about death, dying, taxes, you know, those kind of uh, things, along with, you know, a whole other host of things. I, I think that 
death and dying probably rank up there in, in the top five of things that people just don't want to talk about. Because once you start talking about it, um, some believe that it is accepting that we're mortal. And some people believe it is speaking it into existence, um, you know, things of that nature. And it's, there are hardly ever any um, good feelings when you think about dying or think about losing a loved one or someone else dying. Absolutely. Now we talked about not planning. Let's get past the hurdle. Let's say we've decided to sit down with someone like you, look at our estate plan. Um, do we have to have millions of dollars in order to do this? Absolutely not. Um, at 19 years old, when I did my first will, um, I didn't even own a vehicle. <laughs> so um, I had pretty much just, you know, some, some pictures, a few personal belongings, um, you know, still lived in the dorms. So, um, you know, those kind of things. No, you don't need, you don't need a whole lot. Um, because at the end of the day, um, where Florida's concerned anyway, if you don't have a state planning in place, you don't have a comprehensive will or anything like that, or trust, if you need a trust, um, you're basically leaving it up to Florida law. And Florida law is very specific on how things will be divided and who gets what when you pass away. It theoretically should be done by anybody with any assets whatsoever, whether that's a house, whether that's possessions. Uh, let's assume that we've gotten past the hurdle and we're actually sitting down with someone like you to do this. What are some of the mistakes that you see that people are making when they do decide to actually move forward? I think sometimes the, the mistake that people run into is they, they'll make these plans, they have these ideas in mind, but they either don't put it down detailed enough or they don't talk to the, the people in those plans to explain to them, hey, if something happens to me, this is what I have in mind. And I think at that point, another thing that people run into is when they sit down and they do their estate plan, um, some of them view it as kind of a crock pot approach. It's the set it and forget it. So they do it one time and they never go back and look at it again because they figure, oh, I did it. I don't need to do it again. Um, estate planning is something that you typically want to look at at least every two to three years just to make sure that everything is still current because you know while you may still be alive and well, the people that you've named in your documents may not be alive and well anymore. And it's important to go through and make sure you're updating that information as well as um, keeping current on the laws and things and keeping in touch with your attorney so that if anything does change that you are covered. Absolutely, I think that makes a lot of sense. What now estate planning takes on a whole separate um, connotation and need when we're talking about the majority of our audience listening or watching to this who are business owners or entrepreneurs. So talk a little bit about how it gets more complicated, more sophisticated, and even more important if you own a business. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a great topic because as we are, um, as we are coming out of the COVID pandemic and kind of as we're embracing what things look like today, um, a lot of folks have had to pivot in their businesses or in their business world. And a lot of folks have started businesses. A lot of them have closed businesses. Um, when it comes to estate planning in your business, it is important to have a plan in mind. So for example, as an attorney, um, if I don't have a, a, an estate plan for my business, that means that the Florida Bar is gonna, you know, roundabout way, they're gonna appoint someone to close up my files. That also means that um, you know it's going to be another attorney because Florida specifically is they're pretty strict on you can't have just anybody operating a law practice. So that means even though in my state plan my husband gets everything um, in my business, my husband cannot get everything in my business because he's not an attorney. 
So that means that I would have to build into my succession plan for my business someone that can legally take over my business if something happens to me. Now that stands true for certain other professions. So doctors, um, you know, certain things that require a special license to carry on, a lot of times there are restrictions on who can step in and take care of that. So just because you've established something in your own estate plan, being the, the things that you own individually, does not mean that that will carry over into your business. And it's even more complicated whenever you have a partnership type situation. Um, a lot of that is dictated by your operating agreement on how, um, how and who the key players are in your business if something were to happen to one of you or all of you or anything like that. And so it's important to have all that stuff listed out so that people understand the people that are coming in behind you have a rule book, have a guidebook on what's supposed to happen for business continuity or for business wind up and shut down. Sure. So obviously we're not making any specific recommendations on the show. People need to see counsel in their area to make sure everything is done correctly. But what are some of the most common, both on the consumer side first and then the business side, what are some of the most common basic estate planning documents that theoretically almost everybody needs? So um, exactly. Yeah. And, and all of this is geared toward the state that I'm most familiar and that's Florida. Um, but when it comes to your estate plan, if you are a business owner, it's important to have an operating agreement with a business succession portion included. Um, on the consumer side and individual side, it's important to have either a will or trust, and that's very situation specific and your attorney can help you navigate that process. But also, it, you know, some other documents that are important to have in mind are a medical power of attorney, which includes um, a healthcare surrogate, living will, and um, HIPAA release, and then a financial power of attorney. So some states will allow for particular powers of attorney, or they only allow for certain terms of powers of attorney. Florida, a lot of times, and the one I see most often in my practice, is called a durable power of attorney, and that allows with some exceptions that allows your agent as named to do everything for you financially that you can do for yourself. And so those are some important things um, that will carry you through life that will be very important and help you navigate the things that you need to navigate during life. And then once you pass away, your will will either take over or your trust will take over in some semblance. And then what about on the business side? So the business side is going to be making sure that you have that um, that secession plan in place. I, I generally recommend that people talk to attorneys that um, not maybe not specialize in business planning, but um, they work with businesses on setup and shutdown and things like that because they can help them um, craft a plan that envision you know that incorporates that that vision and helps them continue the operations. If I mean it's not even just in death, it's in incapacity as well because a lot of times, as you know, not everyone just you know up and dies you know immediately. Sometimes there is a time of declining health where they can no longer make decisions for themselves and they can no longer make decisions in the business. And so having that secession planning and having that identified in your operating agreement, as well as having a standalone secession plan in terms of who's going to take over and who's going to do what, um, those are very important. And I think one of the big missteps that happens in this as business owners is we get so bogged down in the day-to-day -day that we may not always document everything that we do. And so you tend to look at this as um, a recipe for baking a cake. So when it comes to your business, your business is a lot like baking a cake. 
and you wouldn't just walk in there and all of a sudden there are cakes. You know, you have to start with what are the ingredients? What are the steps to make this? How do you do it? So to tie that back to the way business owners operate, we get so bogged down in the day-to-day of, I know whenever I open up my computer, I know where my client list is. I know how to do a conflict check. I know how to do all the things in my business. But if I'm not there to tell you how to do it, can you walk in and do what I do? The big thing with that is even in your succession planning, you may say, okay, well, I want attorney Joe Smith to step in behind me and they're going to carry on my business and wind it up or, you know, um, close out everything, settle all my debts for the business and all that. But does he know, um, does he know where I bank? Does he know um, what program I use to track my clients? Does he know how to, can he get through the day-to-day operations? And so those kind of things kind of go with your succession plan. So it's more important or it's just as important to have a plan in place, but also make sure that that person or those people that are coming in know what to do when they get there. Absolutely. Not only do we need whatever buy-sell documents and succession plans there are legally and whatever trusts or anything that need to, or partnerships that need to get set up. We also need operational procedures so that someone else, if we get hit by a bus, God forbid, um, could take over and keep the business going. Now, you've also pioneered a sub, sub, sub specialty of estate planning. Talk a little bit about your how your firearms planning and your gun trust came about. So I was working with a, um, a business coach a couple of years ago. It was ahead of the pandemic. And we were talking about things that we were interested in. And as a veteran, um, I, I am interested in firearms. Um, we could, that's a whole other segment on how I got involved in that. But um, that is something that I'm interested in. It's something that um, I don't know that um, there's enough information out there on how to handle firearms when it comes to estate planning. And, you know, I want to make an important note here that the fact that I, I handle firearms planning in my firm is not necessarily um, it's not indicative that I'm an advocate of the Second Amendment or that I have a position either way. It's more, I mean, you can probably figure that out, but it's more about education because just because you don't like firearms, you don't have firearms, doesn't mean that you won't come into a situation where you inherit firearms. And so my point in that is to say that this is simply education and it's making sure that when it comes to firearms, because that is something that is very specific. Only certain people can own firearms. Only certain people can transfer firearms and only certain people can transfer more than X number of firearms. And they're all state specific um, requirements. So things that you can have in Florida, you may not necessarily be able to have in Washington state, you may not be able to have them in New York state. So those are all things that, um, you know, when I was talking with the business coach, we got talking about guns and he said, well, you know, what happens to your gun when you pass away? And I'm like, that is a darn good question. So we started looking into it. Um, That was one of my assignments was to dig down in and figure out what happens. And I came across a huge network of folks that handle firearms planning across multiple states. And um, it's, you know, it was one of the things that as the pandemic hit, there were some um, negative implications to the firearms industry in terms of access to ammunition, access to firearms, things like that. Um, So it just so happened that it ended up um, being a little more in the forefront than I expected when I first started out with it. And um, I took that opportunity, um, you know, I do market at some of the local Florida gun shows 
um, to help people understand what happens to their firearms if they become incapacitated or pass away. Now, when it comes to incapacity in the terms of medical incapacity, it could be something like you've had a stroke, you have dementia, you have Alzheimer's, um, those kind of things. But from a firearms perspective, sometimes incapacity could mean something as simple as you've been charged with a domestic violence um, issue. That means that when it comes to firearms, if you have a domestic violence um, charge, not a conviction, if you're just charged with it, there are certain things that have to happen with your firearms. If you have a conviction, that's a whole other, that's a, a whole other issue in itself. So when it comes to your traditional estate plan, anyone can inherit. You can have anybody from the age, you know, 199 to nine years old can inherit from your estate plan, your traditional estate plan, whether that's a will or revocable living trust or any you know, combination thereof. When it comes to your firearms plan, though, only certain people can inherit that because you want to make sure that those people are responsible persons and under the eyes of the law. That means can they legally own a firearm? Can they um, are they in a state where they can have that firearm and are they going to be responsible enough to handle it responsibly? So when it comes to that, um, you're basically setting aside your firearms in a separate trust so that those pass according to your wishes, but also to those people that can legally have them. Now, I do make the joke a lot of times when it comes to firearms planning versus traditional estate planning. They'll say, well, why a gun trust? Why do I need this? Well, you, we can talk about whether it's an NFA item or a non-NFA item. And so NFA, National Firearms Act, those are the categories of items, your silencers, your short barrel rifles, things like that, that are controlled by ATF or they're tracked by ATF and reported. Um, then you have your non-NFA items. So those are your regular handguns, um, AR-15s, AR-10s, those kind of things that um, are governed under state law. So there's that. So I just want to make that distinction really quickly. But then going back to uh, the, the joke that I, I tell folks is, okay, listen, you know, ladies don't want their husbands to know necessarily what they spend on their handbags and shoes, just like gentlemen may not want their wives to know what they spend on their firearms. And so as a way to make sure that your legacy is preserved by your firearms, and you make sure that those items don't end up being sold at a yard sale for $25, it's usually a good idea to put them in a trust and make sure that they pass to people that will respect them and use them responsibly, as well as recognize that they may be worth a little more than $25 at a, at a yard sale. Absolutely. And technically, it's probably illegal to sell a firearm at a yard sale. Generally, I, I was a, I'm not a lawyer. But I thought, you know, you might need a federal firearms license. You might need an official way to transfer that. Um, might not be a bad idea for evaluation while that person is still around. Um, I had a client pass away. And when the adult daughter was cleaning out the house, she said, oh, my God, my dad had a gun collection. I had no idea. She's like, there's like 50 guns here. Some of these look like he was collector. Some of them look like from the World War II. I don't know if any of these are probably worth something. And we had to do a whole bunch of legwork because you can't just Google, you know, firearms valuation in your town and have 50 people show up. It's it's kind of, it's not, you know, something that's on every street corner. So absolutely. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Absolutely 100%. And I love that you're doing that. Um, how are people finding you? How are, how are you getting the word out? You know, marketing is something that um, you know, can be very personal in a business. So typically people want to go where their ideal client base is. So um, when it comes to marketing, the firearms planning side of things, um, there are a lot of veterans that 
do collect firearms. So that allows me to remain active in a lot of my veteran groups. That's one area. Another one, like I mentioned earlier, are the Florida gun shows. They, I have a couple of gun shows in the area that I handle where, you know, I just, I have a table set up. I'm not selling firearms or anything like that. I do get a lot of crazy looks because, you know, seeing an attorney at a gun show is, might seem a little interesting, but, um, you know, the, the way to get in front of the people that you want to become your clients is to be in the places where they are. And that's gun shows, the veteran community, um, oddly enough, pawn shops are a great place to market because people will come in either to buy an item or to sell an item. And those are oftentimes um, an, an opportunity to speak with them as well as gun shops and things like that to um, help them navigate the way forward and help them realize that, you know, are, are you doing this legally? Which of course those folks, the pawn shop brokers, the gun shop owners and things like that, they know they've been trained but if someone's looking at a collection and they say, well, I don't really know what to do with this, they can help them navigate that as well as that's usually a cue that there might be a probate needed, which is another area of law that I handle. Those are excellent places to market. Um, a lot of word, to word of mouth. So a lot of gun owners are re relatively private about who they share their collections with. And so that is something that a lot of times will come up in conversation. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? Um, I just, I, I like being able to help people keep things legal because the biggest thing that I've seen in handling gun trust is that um, a lot of folks have things out there that they've gotten. Either they copied something they found on the internet or they were sold a product that maybe didn't do quite what they thought it was going to do. Um, but being able to help folks do what they intend to do and that's preserve their ability to transfer these items and enjoy them during their life um, and do it on a legal basis that they're you know where they're not going to end up causing their family issues later on or they're not going to commit unintentional felonies by unknowingly transferring something they're not supposed to um, I think that's the biggest thing for me and you know, any day that you can help somebody solve a legal issue that they have and, you know, you're able to do it at a price point that's not going to, that makes them realize that they're getting something for value and they're not just throwing money away or wasting money on, on some silly old attorney. Um, that's always a good day for me. I, I love helping people um, just, you know, do things legally, you know, and preserve their legacy. Absolutely. In many ways, shapes, or forms. Well, we know your time is incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some of it with us. Where is the best place for our folks to go who might be in Florida and want to learn more about who you are and what you're doing? All right. Thank you, Seth, so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Um, I appreciate your time today. Um, this has been um, a, a great experience. The best place for people to reach me is to go to my website, and that's allylegalflorida.com. They can uh, reach me there. Um, I do post my blogs there and um, they, there's tons of material to read, tons to learn, and they can always give me a phone call. My number is posted on my website. All right. Well, this has been Seth Green for Sharkpreneur. Thanks to Bob Lehman of LegacyToday.co for the introduction. A very special thank you to Angela Tormey of AllyLegalFL.com for a fascinating interview. Thank you everybody for watching or listening. We will see you or talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. 
Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free Perfect Pitch Cheat Sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.